Hi, I'm Josh. And I'm Lindsay. And this is the Hideaway Podcast, episode 61. Kana ono kekahai. That's Hawaiian, but I might be pronouncing it totally wrong. So if you're Hawaiian, let me know. And we're back. We're back. I'm so sorry. It's been a month. I didn't even realize it. I know people on Instagram were like, is the Highway Podcast still going? Yes. And we would tell you <laughs> if we were going to stop it. Um, <laughs> you know, we, we do this when we have time and availability, and, and some months we can bang out three or four episodes, and some yeah. months we can't. It's almost harder when we're traveling, too, because we don't have our home office. and Our little studio. Yeah. You know, and, you know, just to throw out some more excuses, I did have jury duty for a week and we did take vacation for a week <laughs> in this last month. Yeah, I feel like we're um, explaining to a teacher, like, why we didn't do our homework. Like, well, I was traveling and then we had jury duty and, <laughs> but it's true. Yes, all our listeners are just like our middle school teachers. <laughs> oh, middle school. You had, oh, I was thinking more high school. Oh, okay. Well. So, as we teased at our last podcast, we have a new show that we're working on, which we are Still working on, <laughs> but we thought we were going to be able to announce it, you know, I don't know, three weeks ago, but I think what's, what's important to remember and something that you and I are learning and new, but now like through life we're really learning is as a, your job as a producer is to keep all the balls in the air. And if one drops, you have to figure out how to pick it up without dropping all your other balls. <laughs> And ideally with like a good joke or something. Yeah, with like yeah. A, a little flair, yeah. you know, and uh, doing circus and not going into traditional spaces is challenging. But I also think that's what makes it exciting and important. Well, I think if we say a little bit about the project, people might cut us some slack. So the new show, which we can't go into detail, but I promise we will be announcing soon, is a new dance and circus show starring... Keone and Mari Madrid in an unconventional space. And yes. we've been looking at like a half dozen yes. unconventional spaces in San Diego. And we've been flying out twice actually since our last podcast to go take a look at these spaces. And we don't really want to announce until we have a deal signed for our spaces. Mm -hmm. And we found this one space that we were like, this is where we're going. And right before we finished that deal, we actually found another space that we liked even more. Um, so that sort of pushed that back. So we still actually yeah. haven't decided yes. where the show's going to go and, into. And, you know, when we get frustrated by, oh, well, maybe we should just close on this space. But then, you know, we find another one and it's like, ah, when when do you stop? And my dad, our dads sometimes have really great gems of wisdom mm. because, you know, they're older, obviously have been in the business a lot longer. Um, and one gem was that, are you Closing the deal because you've been working on it for a while and you want it to close. Are you closing the deal because you actually want it to close? Yes. And that's important to remember too, like in a contract or like if you're taking a job, yeah. you know, I think that's an important thing in life. Like, are you, do you want it to happen because you've just been working on it for so long and you just want it to happen? Or is it actually the next right step? That you, yeah, exactly. Is it still a good deal for you? Right. And you know, for us, we, the show and a lot of our projects go into unconventional spaces and Getting a lease that is the right kind of lease that you want uh, for an unconventional space for a show is an interesting challenge and probably a good podcast topic at some yeah. point. Because it's something that no one has ever talked to us about. And we're definitely learning through the past few years of doing it. And every time we, we go into looking at a new space, we learn something new. And it's something that no one talks about. Yeah, Maybe it is a good... I mean... Yeah, maybe it is a good topic. Okay, we'll save that for the future, though. Yeah. So that's a little bit of a tease. You will hear about this new show sooner or later. It's going to be exciting. It's going to be awesome. <laughs> but we can't tell you about it until we decide where we're going to go. Because <laughs> yes. then we can put tickets on sale. Tickets on sale. Speaking of tickets on sale. Oh, yeah. Speaking of tickets on sale, one of the main topics we wanted to talk about today was this uh, nonsense with Ticketmaster slash Live Nation that was in the news maybe two weeks ago. Yeah. I mean, so I haven't read the article, so I'm going to be questioning it like... A listener who right. hasn't also read the article, but maybe some of you have. <laughs> so basically, Ticketmaster, as I think maybe everybody who's American at least knows, is one of the main ticketing platforms that you go on to buy concert tickets and Broadway tickets and just tickets to stuff. They sell about 80% of the tickets of all stadium venues in the U.S. How many times can you say the word ticket? Ticket, ticket, ticket. <laughs> And so Live Nation is a business that books acts, promotes acts. They also own venues and Live Nation and Ticketmaster combined under 
one roof a couple of years ago. I think eight years ago, Obama's Justice Department sort of allowed it to happen against uh, you know some of the cries of the industry saying this is going to be really bad for competitive practices. It's going to make them this sort of monopoly that can negotiate in these terrible, terrible ways. And you know the government said, no, no, you don't have to worry about it. It's not a big deal. But turns out they have been doing this crazy stuff where they've been saying to lots of different acts and arenas, if you don't use our ticketing service, we won't book our acts at your arena. So you can't get you 2 you can't get Katy Perry unless you stop using our competitors' software or our competitors' venues, which uh, I don't know if it's necessarily gotten all the way to affecting circus shows, but certainly circuses go into, particularly the Feld shows and the Disney shows, go into these arenas and have to use Ticketmaster. And, you know, as Lindsay and I can speak to, part of, you know, going into an original venue is picketing your ticketing software. And at one point, we're like, maybe we'll use Ticketmaster. You know, the thing about Ticketmaster, to their credit, is that because it's so widely used, people trust it. They go, oh, yeah, okay, well, Ticketmaster is legit. But ultimately, we didn't decide to go with Ticketmaster because they have so many clients and projects that our, you know, 200-seat show ain't going to be able to compete (laughs) with. In any case, my suggestion for those of you who are out there uh, putting tickets on sale for your upcoming circus shows, you young producers and directors, maybe don't use Ticketmaster if you can avoid it. But you got to sell tickets somehow, right? Yeah, I mean, we're using Ovation Ticks. Yes. But there's show clicks and there's Eventbrite, lots of different websites. Brown paper tickets. Lots of different websites you can use. And, you know, if you sell them over spring break, as we saw from uh, the Broadway uh, box office results, you'll do better than if you do it not during spring break. Yes, but Broadway really only uses Telecharge and Ticketmaster. Yes. Telecharge being owned by? The Schuberts. So, you know, it's a conglomerate of its own. (laughs) Where if you go into a Schubert theater, you must use Telecharge. So, I mean, it's kind of also a mini version of Ticketmaster and Live Nation throughout the rest of the world. Yes. (laughs) Maybe that's like, that's why it's fun to not play in those sectors. You get to choose, like, you can use a smaller ticketing software. You can have so much more control over your ticket pricing and your changing of pricing each day. But, yeah, spring break is the way to uh, to get a bit more money each week. Yeah, there was an 11% increase, I think, on tickets on sale the last Well, it was 11% drop-off. Drop-off. After spring break. That must stink as a show. You're like, wow, we got, you know, two weeks in a row breaking over a million dollars in sales. And then spring break ends and you're like, damn. Back down to like. Back down. To below the million mark. To below the million mark. And that sounds like a lot of money. It is a lot of money. But when you're playing with a Broadway show. It's not a lot of money. No. The, to put in perspective how much a Broadway show costs a week, running costs are for a musical around six hundred to eight hundred and fifty thousand dollars. So when you are making below a million dollars, your chance of profit is very small. And most Broadway musicals capitalize around, I don't know, six million to twenty million. So just imagine how long that will take to make back your profit. And who has, you know, six million, twenty million, a hundred million dollars for a new show? Cirque du Soleil. Cirque du Soleil. And who's paying them this time around? Saudi Arabia. So as some of you might have seen in the in the news, uh, Crown Prince Mohammed bin Salam, Salaman, I think that's how you say his name, did his uh, three-week U.S. tour, met with all these important people, including Cirque du Soleil and uh, Feld Entertainment, who used to own Ringling. And it seems like uh, the circus is heading to Saudi Arabia. Cirque du Soleil is doing a... Uh, I think it's a one-night performance that's televised throughout the country called Vision 2030 about <laughs> the uh, future of Saudi Arabia. Of course, Cirque du Soleil would do this. Another example of how they're sort of detouring potentially from their original original business. Uh, Fels also met with him while they were in town. Seems like they'll be doing Disney on Ice and some of their other arena shows in Saudi Arabia. Clearly, the crown prince is trying to make it more of a liberal country, at least compared to what it has been previously. Which good is for him. Hyper conservative, yeah, very good for me. I think he's like thirty two. Yeah, um, he's bringing entertainment and arts to Saudi Arabia. Yeah, I'm. I'm all live for live shows. It. Live shows, do it. <laughs> um, but you know, it's just an interesting example of Cirque's Cirque's constant inability to focus really in any one place. Maybe it's maybe it's not an inability. Maybe it's a pro. Maybe look at all the places that they can focus on simultaneously. Mm-hmm. Very impressive. 
I have a feeling we're going to see potentially a theme park from Cirque du Soleil popping up in Saudi Arabia or somewhere else. Mm. We haven't heard any news about the Mexico one for like a year, maybe even longer. So uh, I'm skeptical that yeah. that's still happening. See, that's the other thing. You you see all these announcements in the news because it's a way for people to fundraise and also to push projects forward. But that doesn't mean that because it's announced in the news, it's actually happening. No. You know, again, going back to Broadway, that happens all the time. You know, this show coming in in the fall and then, you know, three years later, you're like, where did, what happened to that show? It never came in. It never came in. So it's like new theme park in Mexico coming soon. Mm, where did what, coming where never <laughs> or going to Saudi Arabia maybe it's going to Saudi Arabia I mean they gotta follow the money so it yeah. seems like Saudi that's where the money's at Saudi Arabia lots of gas lots of oil but uh, you know it was a really sad month for Cirque du Soleil actually we had tickets originally to see uh, Volta which is one of their new tented touring creations in East Rutherford New Jersey but unfortunately the shows were cancelled for I think three weeks the show was in Tampa when um, a performer, unfortunately and sadly, uh, died. Doing a uh, aerial rings act. His name is Jan. Uh, I think he'd been with Cirque du Soleil for nearly a decade. This just sort of seems like one of those um, accidents where the performer lets go of the equipment and falls a good distance to the stage. Um, you know, our hearts are with Cirque du Soleil community. This is already a little bit of old news, but felt that we needed to touch on it, you know, if yeah. we're going to talk about Cirque. He seemed like a really amazing person from, you know, our friends who are in the cast who are posting. And I do hope to see Volta the in show May, soon. right? Yeah. Maybe on the next episode we'll talk about it or the following one. Yeah. Uh, before we get into the episode, there's one other kind of dark story. Maybe not so dark. I mean, it's an interesting... Um, turn of a, events. It's an interesting turn of events. So Circus Maine is closing. Dun, which is, dun, dun. It is very sad. It is. Well, and it's we closed had, at this point. It's well, yeah. After, it, it is now closed. It's not closing. It is closed. <laughs> we have one of the founders, Corey Tabino, on the podcast a while ago. So feel free to listen to that podcast. But what's interesting is that Circus Mean, as we talked about with Corey, is a for-profit school, which is different than almost all of the other circus schools in the country and around the world which are government-funded or non-for-profits, which I think is where is an interesting topic to kind of digest and bounce around. So what I applaud the founders on doing is they're pretty open with what happened and what they were trying to do. And it seems like, you know, they just could not raise enough money or get, 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 to a point where the school is functioning well enough where it was covering all its costs. And as a commercial venture, it is hard. That's a school. Like it is hard to get money for because you're, because you're not going to an investor and saying there's going to be this great return on this show or this, you know, venture. It's like, you're giving me money for this school that you might see a return on at some point. Whereas why it actually does make more sense for a school to be a nonprofit because people will donate to a school. As a donation, you get a tax break and you are a donor, you're a supporter of education. But as a as a for-profit school, if you're not charging enough tuition to cover the costs, it's, it is hard, to, I think, to keep it afloat. Sorry. Oh my God, Josh has his phone out while I'm trying, trying to talk on the podcast. Apparently that's okay. I was watching, listening to, watching. I was listening to <laughs> Kara Swisher's podcast and apparently she looks at her phone while her co-host talks so i think it's okay anyway after i was so rudely interrupted they basically told everyone a week before they were closing their doors that the classes were done so the students had about a a week to process it's also you know interesting point about like if the market in new england is oversaturated Mm -hmm. you know you already have circus mercus and neca which have i would say the strongest grasp yes on that on that area um, and then there are other programs in Maine, in Vermont, in New Hampshire, uh, in Massachusetts that teach circus. So mm-hmm. I think we've maybe reached a, a tipping point with how many programs the uh, mm-hmm. market can handle. So it's sad that Circus Maine closed. I've, I'm sad for Corey. I'm sad for the students. students. Our friend Max was a student there a for a short of period this, of this time. Yeah, so I do feel sad for it. And I, I do wish that it had worked 
but interesting to think about. Not-for-profit versus for-profit. So on today's episode, we have Hilario and Haley, uh, who are two fantastic circus performers living outside of L.A., Hilario started out doing a gaucho act in Argentina. He actually grew up on a, I guess the term is Indian, not Indian, native native Argentinian um, uh, reserve, sort of like Native American, but in Argentinian, learning this act. It took him all around the world, eventually to Bally's Casino, where Misbehave Game Show is. He was in Jubilee. His act won uh, many different awards uh, during the 80s and 90s. He performed for the Queen. Uh, later on in his life, he met Haley, his wife, who is a contortionist. Um, they met, I believe, doing Circus Vargas, which you'll hear the whole story. Mm-hmm. It's a really fun interview, particularly if you uh, like hearing about South American circus and, uh, you know, history of Vegas. And we, on the podcast, you'll hear, but... Josh and Haley realized that they knew each other from Circus Mercus. From camp, like in <laughs> from 2004, <camp>. maybe. <laughs> Neither of them, like, really remember each other, but they were clearly there at the same time, so they definitely met. Yes. But it is fun. It's a definitely a totally different story than Reused we've heard it. in the past. I love hearing about... Couples. Couples who are doing it, how they met, how they keep it going. I also think it's interesting that most couples who meet end up starting to do an act together because it does it make sense. It's like that we can stay together. We will be hired together. We go on all the shows together. What would our act be? We'd be hosting together. <laughs> In my head. Oh my God. I had a dream the other night. So yeah. Josh used to do straps. Um, I think some people know that maybe some people don't. And he was really good at it. And he did an act with a girl. And in my dream, I was the girl. Oh. <laughs> I learned how to do straps. Great. And I was your, so uh, good at it. Your center split and your left leg split. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I'm going to be like 50 by the time I like actually can do one thing on straps. Um, oh, that's how it goes. Got yeah. Takes, everything is just practice. Oh, maybe we do a tap dance number. That will take me 50 years to learn <laughs> to tap. In any case, if you enjoy today's episode... Please like the show on iTunes or Apple Podcasts or wherever the hell you get your podcasts. You can follow us on Twitter, tweet us, Facebook, follow us, Instagram, at Hideaway Circus. Just saying, I have been on Facebook considerably less post the scandals, so uh, go to Instagram or Twitter first for the latest (laughs) deeds. Yes, this is true. And go to our website, HideawayCircus.com. Email us at hello at HideawayCircus.com with your... Questions, comments, yes. thoughts, guests, suggestions. We love getting that the questions and guest suggestions. We got an email the other day. Well, not the other day, but a few weeks ago that just had a plethora of suggestions that were so good. And we are going to definitely use some of them. Yes. So anyone who has a suggestion or a question, we love hearing it. Oh, and by the way, for you know regular listeners, the answer to the last podcast's question, correctly answered by about four people, was Xenon, Girl of the 21st Century. Um, Xenon Zetus Lapidus Oh my gosh Wait One more thing We have to talk about Our fellow circus Married couple Jeff and Julie Jenkins Their son Max Jenkins Is the star Of this new Netflix show Called Lost in Space He's Will Robinson Danger Will Robinson So uh, you want to support The circus community And also watch a good New show on Netflix Yeah About space it's like Xenon Girl of the 21st Century, except it's Max Jenkins, <laughs> Will Robinson. Yeah. If you've seen Midnight Circus, Max Jenkins is uh, the uh, younger blonde boy, with along with his sister, who is sort of the two young child performers uh, who are fantastic. Yes. And he's fantastic in the show. So without further ado, here is our podcast interview with Hilario and Haley. Hilario and Haley, thank you guys so much for coming on our podcast. Yeah, thanks, Josh, for having us. And thank you, Josh. You were saying before we started, you guys are in L.A. at the moment. Is that where you're, you're based out of? Yeah, we are based here in Los Angeles. We were living for three years in Argentina, working on cruise ships, but now we're back in L.A. Nice. Well, the weather is certainly better there than, than most places. Ilaria, um, I'm wondering if you can tell us a little bit about how you got, you got started. I was reading in your biography that you started at an Indian reservation in Argentina. Is that where you learned uh, the Gaucho Act originally? Well, really, I, I born in the reservation, but then uh, when I was three years old, they uh, shipped me to my family moved to Buenos Aires, to the city. And that's what I started to do all the 
gaucho performance, it's a traditional Argentinian dance, playing drums and doing boleadoras. But I did learn a little bit in the reservation, but I wanted to be a professional dancer, so I moved to Buenos Aires where I started my career. Were your parents performers? Did they encourage you to do it? No, they were just Indian. (laughs) (laughs) Can you explain? I watched some videos to understand what gaucho performance like was, but can you explain what it is to our listeners? Sure. Gaucho is a South American cowboy. And the same in Texas, how they do the cowboy dance and they use the rope and the rodeo. Same way we use in Argentina, you know, the boleadoras, they play the drums and the boleadoras, knife, spurs, they're all weapons from Argentina. Back in those days, they used to hunt animals, but um, later on, we started to do rhythm with it and dance with it. So it was... uh, Back in the 70s, most of the good guys, the, the professionals, went to Lido de Paris, to Paris, and some of them come to Las Vegas, and that was very uh, sensational, the, the show and the acts. So uh, we follow those uh, guys. You know, I came in Vegas right in the 80s, so they were already um, very successful act by the time I come in. Did, so did you at first see somebody do it and say, oh, man, I really, really want to learn that? How did you How did you get into it? Right. We were uh, five little kids, and, and uh, starting, and one guy started teaching us. And our first performance, when I was nine years old, they call them Los Diablitos del Malambo. It was a very famous group. And uh, we did a lot of TV shows and a lot of circles. Back in those days, the circus, they work in the theater and the TV shows. So that's how we grow up doing circus, but TV show and theater. No much, uh, how you call that, carpa thing? A ten. A ten. No, it was hmm. not too many tens. And um, yeah, from nine to 16, I did a lot of TV shows and, and theater. And then I started traveling around the world. And when I was 18, they shipped me to Las Vegas. <laughs> How was that going from being in a South American country right to the casino gambling mecca of America? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, those, uh, in those days, they don't ask you. You don't have to be 21, you know, because um, we have this juggler, um, very famous also today, Anthony Gatto. Oh, sure. And he, he was in the same show I was, and he was only 13 years old. Oh, my know, God. 14, and he was with his padrino, his godfather, used to um, be with him in the show. And uh, so it was no problem to work with the Of course, you have to be sensational like he was, <laughs> like he is still, you know, because I'm still in contact with him, and uh, he is a very professional and one of the best jugglers in the world. Yeah, and uh, so that's how we started. When we are, he probably started when he was eight, seven, eight years old too, and the same age we started. But um, we keep keep trying to survive in our career and keep a performance because that's what we love to do. So, what was? What, can you tell us a little bit about what uh, the Las Vegas performing scene was like, particularly before you know Cirque du Soleil was there, because. You know, I remember Jubilee being one of the biggest shows in town. I, I know you performed that for a while. Um, right. What was right. that we, culture like? We we did uh, from like eighties, nineties, and the, before Cirque du Soleil was um, uh, Russian um, Cirque Moscow starting to come, and Cirque Moscow was very big circus in the parking lot of uh, Jubilee. They used to uh, Bali's hotel. Then uh, other circus come in from South America, and uh, big circus like um, uh, I don't recall was uh, the name. They they have a three pistas, was a three stage, um, and there was a lot of performance in it. So this most of the performance, most of the act stay in Las Vegas. 
So we have thousands act back in uh, between 80s and 90s. And then Circo Soleil come, I think, in 90, somewhere in the 94, 95, there was uh, the first, the first Circo Soleil they come, there was an explosion in Las Vegas. It was um, every, every circus they come to Vegas was like, uh, they don't want to come because Circo Soleil was there. <laughs> right. <laughs> One of the biggest spectacular. But Jubilee still go because it was a different show. You know, completely different show uh, back in Don Arden production and the Circo Soleil production was completely different. So it was for different audience. So they, they still was a Stardust having the show. I work in a Stardust. I closed the Stardust. I closed the Splash in Riviera Hotel. Um, I left uh, uh, from Jubilee, but they called us back. What year they called us back, Haley? They wait back to I think it was in 2015 they were doing the last the last year year of oh, so, so they called me to go back and I said no I don't want to go back there but Haley never did that show so we went together and we performed that show so that was just before the Jubilee closed and I want to get to Haley's Haley's story too but before we jump into that I know you also performed for the Queen as part of the uh, Royal Variety performance what yes, was, what we, was were, that like? we were very lucky and blessed to, and, and um, a producer come from England and he pick up uh, uh, one of the acts that win. We win the best act in Las Vegas, so they take Lance Burston as a musician, the Gauchos that was in Jubilee, Oliver Sher, half of the cast, and uh, from Tropicana Hotel. Then they, uh, we, when we uh, arrived to England and then rehearsals, of course, it was more than 100 performers. Uh, we meet um, Tina Tanner, Janet Jackson, Jerry Lewis. They come with us from Vegas, from the United States. But also there was a lot of famous people from uh, Broadway, shows. Broadway shows, from Paris, from Spain. Some people don't recognize them here in the United States, but being in South America, I recognize all of them. <laughs> and uh, that was that was great. That was a very good uh, performance and a good experience to be with all of them. And it's a pretty high energy act. Is it so? Tell me a little bit about like kind of the rooms you were playing in, because one of the videos I saw online said it was the largest. Theater, it was at the MGM theater. The, the MGM, like the largest theater in uh, in oh, Vegas, or just you know, it seems yeah. like your act plays really, really well to large spaces, which is a challenge yeah. to do with three people. That's true. We were in Vegas. They said that uh, twelve hundred people, but in Reno, there was MGM. All of the, all those hotels was MGM, and they sold it to Bally's. But the Reno one uh, said 3,200 people, something like that. Oh, wow. And the stage is uh, 100 meters long. Uh, and, uh, and the back uh, is, is a plank. I mean, I have the videos. I'm only only one person that had the videos. Uh, a plane is to uh, to open the, sh uh, the opening was a plane coming in from the stage, like the whole full plane. They had to <laughs> put it together because there was no door to bring a plane. And they have in each wing of the plane, they have 20 girls. <laughs> and everybody, all the whole cast was inside the plane. And that's how the opening of the show was. And it was very scary to three crazy gauchos coming in in the huge stage with more than 100 dancers, 100 girl, uh, showgirls and maybe 25 dancers and more than 60 stations. It was a really uh, big, big um, production. production. So we were scared to come <laughs> in and just three crazy guys. But <laughs> we managed We um, running back and forth. We were very young back in those days, so we have a lot of energy. <laughs> and uh, we also have a, 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 a life Cougar, they would be using the stage, uh, Snake, 
in the ostrich the from oh i saw you riding an ostrich right we had to bring the every single day <laughs> put a makeup on her <laughs> special shoes <laughs> and i was the we had more than 20 of them so i break it down riding every day and when we put on the stage the audience thought it was a machine <laughs> they don't think it was real and uh, but yeah, we we try we try to do everything we could to please the audience and keep performing, keep working. Mm. Are ostriches easy to ride? Or are they easy to train? Or it's like a ride a chicken. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> I think they have ostrich racing somewhere. Um, yeah, they do in California. Thing. They do have it. They're <laughs> when when you have it in the. Like we have a ranch in Las Vegas, and when they take off our side, you just cannot stop them. It's to grab them from the neck because the neck is the weak part. <laughs> so we grab the neck and try to slow them down because they go like 60 miles an hour. Oh, and you're, my God. You're <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, very dangerous. And they kick, too. They have three nails, three fingers, but the middle one, they can open you and a half, you know, that's, we got a couple of accidents too, so. Oh, that's what happens with live, uh, live animals, I guess. And Haley, you have a more traditional, um, at least from an American perspective, um, story into circus. You got interested as a kid, right? Yeah, I mean, my story is kind of interesting because my family is not really from the circus at all, but my mom is an actor, so I did have that um, artistic influence in my life, but I was never ever like um, pushed to be in show business or like an actor or anything like that. I just really enjoyed gymnastics, and it was something like in my life that I I just was really drawn to. And when my mom took me to see Cirque du Soleil, I was just like blown away. And I was like, something inside me was just like, this is like what I'm going to do for the rest of my life. I don't know how, but I was like, just like, <laughs> wow. I don't know what went wrong with me at the age of, you know, nine or 10 years old. But I was just like obsessed with the circus for no possible reason. It was just like something that came into me and I was just like totally mesmerized. So, you know, you're you're a young kid, you see Cirque du Soleil. How did you, like, train to do circus? Like, what did, what was the steps that you took to, to develop an act? Obviously, gymnastics was a, a good base for that. Right. I did gymnastics as a really young kid. I was, like, five years old when I started. And then um, I got in contact with one aerial arts school here in California, and I did some training for trapeze and silk and acrobatics type stuff like that. But they really didn't have any contortion teaching classes. Um, so I was kind of just on my own for a long time. Like I would just watch Circus Lady videos and just try and copy what I saw them doing. And then one, one of my teachers um, suggested that I go to a circus camp called Circus Bar, uh, Circus Bar, <laughs> Circus Marcus, um, which I had never heard of before. And I looked it up and I checked it out and I was like, oh my gosh, I can't believe there's like a circus camp out there for kids just like me who love to do circus and want to be professional one day. So I went to Circus Marcus in 2015 and, oh no, sorry, 2014. And that was like my first experience being in a circus um, training environment. Do you mean 2004 kids. and 2005, Haley? Oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> you're only like 19. <laughs> no, no, you're right. 2004. Um, I know, like, time goes by now, and I'm just like, can't keep straight. Because um, <laughs> I think, we are talking about it before, but I think you and I were at uh, advanced camp, which is a, a session within the camp at the same time. I'm hoping that in between uh, uh, recording this and we put it out, I'll email some of the staff at Smirkus <laughs> and see if they can dig up a Do photo with both of, us, both of us in it as, you know, teenagers. That would be hilarious. 
so you go to Smirkus camp. It you know helps cultivate your love of circus. What was the like first real professional steps you were taking? What was that first show like? Um, well, actually, I had already been professionally performing before I went to Smirkus. Um, I, I started professionally performing when I was fourteen. Um, and then like, I kind of started everything backwards. Like I did my first professional performance. Then I found a place to train and actually practice. And then, you know, I just kept going from there, which was really strange because like most of my friends, they were like all in a circus school or they were, um, you know, doing tour on circus, uh, circus or they had, you know, going to some, uh, conservatory in, uh, Montreal and they were all in these like circus programs and I was just kind of in LA by myself like training doing my own thing and like working professional gigs in an all adult like underground circus which was like a burlesque style like really kind of adult themed <laughs> show <laughs> which now when I look back on it I'm like I can't believe my parents let me do that but <laughs> it was really like the best thing for me I knew growing up that were like training to do a professional performance like most of them aren't like currently performing as professional um like they kind of just you know went on with regular life and got a regular job and like I just kept going performing like I just never had the time to like go to an actual circus school and do the whole thing because like I was just working all the time so in a way, it was really great for me because I got like professional experience as my training, um, which is kind of hard to come by um, for some people. But um, I don't know. Like I really wanted that experience as well because like I really liked the whole structure of the school and training and your friends and everything. But uh, I guess that just wasn't my path <laughs> and um when I decided that I wanted to like really be a professional I went to Las Vegas um to try and train with people that you know were very specific in contortion um and at the time there was a Mongolian contortion school in Las Vegas that I went to and I received like the most amazing training that I ever had um, where I really was able to uh, learn like professional techniques that you don't learn like in gymnastics school and um, like you need like a real professional whatever kind of like your act studies that you're doing like you need that professional ex uh, teacher to help you out like to learn the best way to do that specific act so once I was able to get better training I was training for about a year before I was offered a contract to work in Circus Vargas and to travel with them for a year and once I got that contract I was like so excited because I'm like goodbye college goodbye school <laughs> goodbye everything I'm ready to join the circus full-time and I kind of had that excuse to tell my parents like oh well I can't go to school anymore because like, I have to go to the circus <laughs> and they're probably thrilled um, they were thrilled <laughs> <laughs> so did you guys meet on Circus Vargas yeah um that was another uh story that my parents <laughs> were gonna kill me um, because I was 20 when I got the contract to work in Circus Vargas, and... I was 21. And hilarious. <laughs> <laughs> and, like, the thing was is that I was not interested at all in having a relationship with anybody. Um, like, I had already known a lot of the people in Circus Vargas, and most of the people in Circus Vargas are family, so... They're all like part of the family and I was kind of like that one performer that wasn't part of the family at all. Like I hadn't really worked with them in the past. They a lot of them like had been working together previously in Ringling Brothers. Mm -hmm. um, so I was kind of like an outsider um, person and they didn't I didn't really have anybody that I was interested in at all, like romantically in the circus. And I just wanted to keep it business because I don't like you know, mixing all that stuff. It's like, you know, it's just pleasure. pleasure. It just doesn't work. <laughs> yeah, but sometimes so, show romances are so, like, romantic and fun. Uh, 
<laughs> I just wasn't into it, you know. I wanted to like I, my focus really was on my act and performing. Like I, this was for me like my first time that I got to do a year tour, so I was really focused on my act. But then this gaucho came in, <laughs> and you know, his 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 focus was not on the act. Like, just, like, <laughs> Let, let me tell you how I come in. I did a tour for a year and a half in Korea, another year in uh, Australia, another year in China, and I was taking a vacation in Argentina, and the owner of Circo Varga used to be a flying trapeze in Las Vegas, so we know each other for many years. So he flew to Buenos Aires and offered me to come to do a year in Circo Vargas. And I said, well, but I'm by myself. And he says, okay, it's a family circus. We're going to have a contortionist. And it's going to be a you and a contortionist, new people. All the rest is family. I said, okay, I go. So I get my little drum and my boleadoras. And I went to Las Vegas because it was opening in Las Vegas. And I teach some of the kids that were there. And I prepare an act in a week. And I open in California. So that's when Haley come in in California and we meet. And uh, that's how we get together. She was uh, the only new act, and I was the new act too. And I'm just like, I'm suspicious of those people because I think they were trying to put it together because he was telling Hilario, oh, there's contortionists coming. And then they were talking to <laughs> me, oh, you know, there's a gaucho coming. And I was like, <laughs> Why do I care if there's a gaucho coming? Like, they were, like, pushing me, like, oh, yeah, you know, this gaucho's coming. And I was like, well, I don't care. But, yeah, I mean, we started, like, you know, dating. And it was pretty crazy for me because uh, Hilario was, like, my first boyfriend ever. Uh, oh, my God. <laughs> first and last. <laughs> yeah. And it was so weird because I was like, oh, my God, like, what are the people in the circuits going to think? Like, I'm he's, like so much older than me and, and like we're working in the show and like I don't know it's just like for a while it was pretty scandalous like everyone was like making jokes about Hilario's like things <laughs> and I was like so embarrassed <laughs> <laughs> or that he was like robbing the cradle and I was like I am not a child like mm-hmm. I am 21 years old like I am an adult but now like I look back and I was like oh my god I was only 21 what was I thinking <laughs> <laughs> so you guys have gone on to perform both a, a duo gaucho act as well as a your own show basically based on your lives would you tell me a little bit about that show yeah well after we had been working together for a while in Circus Vargas and then we went off and did some other shows um uh, around around in Aruba for nine months, we were in Aruba, and during that time, um, I really got interested in trying to learn the gaucho acts because I felt like I only do contortion and hand balancing. I don't do any other acts, and I felt like it was really important for me as an, a performer to have at least two different acts that I can offer. Um, and as a couple, you know, I really love working with with Hilario. And, like, it's always been something for me. It's really important to, to be able to work as a couple. Um, so I learned the gaucho act. And I thought it was going to be so easy <laughs> because I was like, oh, yeah, well, if I can, you know, bend my back in half and stand on one arm, I'm like, I can do the boleadoras. I can do a drum. Like, that's no problem. It was so hard. Like it I looks hard. was totally unprepared <laughs> to learn that act. Especially those like um, knee spins. I don't know what if you can describe <laughs> what those are, Hilario, but like watching you do those, like think like knee spins on the ground with like all this material. I mean, it's pretty. It's it looks. I look at it. I'm like, wow, that's that looks really hard. And maybe a little painful on the knees. And maybe a little painful on the knees. We were very blessed uh, at the time because all the Circo Moscow and uh, Bol Joy Ballet, all those people will come uh, to Las Vegas to perform. And back in those days, they, we are not allowed to talk to them, but we can rehearse with them. And so uh, they teach us a lot of techniques. I want to do, you know, A9T 
turns and uh, five on my knees and uh, double tours and jump, all those things that I used to do, the Boljoy uh, Cossack Ballet. Mm-hmm. So they teach us, and I I was come to be one of the guys that rehearse eight hours a day. Wow. So um, I... Right now, I have a very good technique to teach others, and that's what I try to do, teach other people, teach Haley. She's doing very good now. She can spin and the knees and do all the stuff that um, I want her to to have it so she can uh, perform on the show. You know, it's, it's no easy technique. It's, it's, not, it's easy for the ballet people, but... Even that, they don't want to hit the knee on the floor. Right. <laughs> yeah, it is a Cossack thing, right? Because I was watching you do it, and I was like, is that Argentinian? Because I've only seen Cossack acts uh, do that technique. Right. Because or like Georgian dancers. Oh, Georgian dancers. Yeah, exactly. I Georgian performed dancers. a year and a half with a Georgian dancer in Korea. And also I trained with them a lot, too, in 2008. Yeah, 2008. And it was in beautiful show when we get together over there they told me those are the Georgian dancers and they are fantastic <laughs> and, I, and I said what can I do we do the same thing and so the choreographer was from China who made this spectacular and uh, everybody was from Australia mm. like the 25 people from Australia the dancers so they told me in the rehearsal, what can you do over here? So well, I can do this, spin it my knees and this. And so, no, we do that. Um, what else you can do? I can do the knife. No, we do that. And so we very much do the same thing. So they put us together. So when I do the boleadoras and the knife, they all, nine of them was behind me doing some other choreography and uh, it come out a very, very good show. And, uh, I, I really enjoyed performing every night there, and they were get get together and practice and rehearse all day long too. But anyway, that's what I want Haley to do, and also I would love to teach all those techniques to some other young people that wants to do it. You know? Well, if you're out in LA, that's where you guys are. So hopefully, the podcast maybe you'll make a few connections off of that. But before we jump into your your lives in LA a little bit. What's the trick to working with your uh, romantic partner, uh, both on and off stage? Clearly, you guys have found a way to make it work. Is there any uh, any tips for couples that you guys would give out? Um, just be honest, respect your partner, and and any time, and and uh, be humilde. Always be humilde. Humble. And just be honest. You know. Yeah, honesty is the best policy i know sometimes like in our industry romantic relationships start out really great and then they end like terribly (laughs) um but it's really important for us doesn't matter if we're working or not that we are always honest with each other and kind to each other like just be nice <laughs> like in uh, the last uh, two years that we spent in uh, Argentina um, and we have a big place in our home so uh, when we are not in the ship we are two three weeks without working we rehearse in the morning we train middle of the day we rehearse in the afternoon we rehearse in the night we rehearse keep ourselves, try to pray more things, teach other people, uh, prepare other people that want to learn, and uh, keep working so we don't have time to distraction. We don't do clubs, we don't do bars, we don't drink, so we keep ourselves very good shape and uh, learn every day, rehearse to learn more. We take a lot of classes too. We go to take class of tango, flamenco, uh, to improve yeah. different techniques. You know? Like for example, when we were um, just doing a tour for a circus in Argentina, I was kind of getting like tired of my act that I was always doing the same style and I wanted to change to do like a belly dancing Arabic dance style act. So I took like a month of classes doing belly dancing and Arabic dancing in Argentina. 
and learning from all these different teachers and I learned so many different things. Yeah, absolutely. I think always, always learning new skills, I think is key to any circus performer, particularly having a, a lifelong career. I'm wondering if you could tell us a little bit about what you guys are doing in LA now. I saw that you have an all female version of the Gaucho Act you guys are working on and performing. Also, I'm curious to know if people want to learn from Hilario, um, how to get in contact with you guys. Yeah, well, the whole thing about the female gaucho group is that Hilario had a group of girls that he used to do shows with back in the 70s in Argentina, and it was a really successful act. Like They used to perform in a lot of cabarets in Argentina and also in Brazil. And so when he showed me the photos of it, I was like, you know, we should do the same thing now, but like an all-girls gaucho group. Because usually for people who don't know, gauchos are, are all guys. Like, it's not an act for women um, to do. And if there are, like, girls, there, there are girls that do gaucho acts, but they're very, like, secondary to the, to the male gauchos. Mm -hmm. Um, and it's just an unusual thing, like, to see female gauchos. I know there were some in, in Cirque du Soleil that they did, like, a little Boleadoras act, um, in Saltimbanco a long time ago. Mm -hmm. Um, but it's something that, uh, we really want to kind of recreate to make it not just like a female gaucho act, but like a really powerful performance. So using all of those Russian dancer techniques that I learned uh, from Bolshoi Ballet and from the Georgian dancers, knee spins, turns, jumps. Um, yeah, we saw it. I saw in Circo Soleil, they have a couple of girls, they do boleadoras, and I know one of my friends teach there, they do, they are flamenco dancers, but they learn the boleadora and they're very good at it. Except they just do that, that little part of boleadora and that's it. We want to do more. We yeah. want other uh, girls who already have some act. They want to um, join us to learn different acts so we can present three or four or five different acts, but um, really good acts in each one that we do. You know? And also, um for anyone that might be interested in training with us, um, please do not hesitate. Contact us, um, and you can always find um, our information on our website, www.mastergaucho.com. I'm sorry, mastergauchoproductions.com. Um, or you can just look up Master Gaucho or look me up, Haley Cabral, on Facebook and message me. Um, and if you're better, if you're in the Los Angeles area or Las Vegas is also, um, okay as well, because we do travel to Las Vegas, um, a lot. Well, Sounds like a cool, cool thing. Yeah. We have a good amount of listeners in California. So hopefully some of those act on, on that advice. We, uh, like to wrap up the podcast with the same three questions for each of our guests. Um, so the first one is, has there been a piece of advice, really good or really bad, that has stuck with you over the course of your life? Um, most of the people I worked with when I was a little kid in the circus, um, because it was all circus performance, we worked in theater, but it was all circus performance. I'm always like the clown. I love <laughs> the clowns. And the clowns always tell me, just follow your dream. No matter what other people tell you what to do or what to say, or just follow your dream. You're going to come to be what you want to be. And thanks to God, they bless me. I'm, I am who I wanted to be since I'm a little kid. Oh, I love that. I love that advice. So the second question. Well, Haley, maybe, do you have any? Oh, I was going to give Haley the second one, <laughs> oh. for sure. Yeah, Haley, do you have a piece of advice? Yeah, I think the best advice I've ever got was actually from Hilario, which is just that, like, to always be ready. Um, mm. So that means, like, whenever the time comes, we're going to be ready. So it doesn't matter what happens in the future, like, if there's a show tomorrow or next week, or it doesn't have to be a show. It could be anything, really. It's just be prepared. Take that extra time to prepare whatever it is that you need to for your life or... 
uh, your act or whatever it is so that like when the time comes for whatever it is, like you'll be ready. So yeah, just be prepared. Oh, I love that too. Be um, prepared. <laughs> so the second question uh, is, is there, for somebody who's a student who we talked about a little bit, a little bit already on this, maybe they're at Smirkus camp like we were, maybe they're at circus school, or maybe they're like you, Haley, and they're um, training themselves and trying to find their first professional gig as a teenager. Is there a book or a movie or a TV show or really any artistic reference that you suggest that they, they see or watch or read? Well, my favorite um, program that I really enjoyed when I was young was Fire Within. I watched that, and that was a big inspiration for me to go forward in becoming a professional circus performer. Um, and I'm, if you don't know what Fire Within is, it was a Cirque du Soleil documentary, um, and it was like a, a, a series, a television series. Um, and it gives a pretty good inside look into like what it takes to just like be on tour, I guess. Um, yeah, I totally recommend that. You and I are clearly the same generation because that was a big influence <laughs> on me as well. It's a like reality television show uh, about the um, people who get cast in Varakai during the uh, creation yeah. process, and a bunch get cut, and people cry, <laughs> and people get injured, and it's a uh, it's a good it's a really fun like I think maybe ten episodes. Yeah, and also, like, too, is that, like, even if you're looking to um, be a professional service performer and, like, you apply to a school or a program or something and you don't get accepted, like, just do not allow that to stop you from continuing your journey to becoming a, a service performer. Um, like, just don't, don't stop. Like, there are so many other ways to learn. So, yeah. And also, Shash, um, sometimes it's not just all in books or a video. Um, I will tell all those students, they go to any little circle that they can find around them, hang out with the performers, and learn some stuff for the, even if it's, it's just no name in a little circle, sometimes they always learn and hang out with the people that are performing because most of the people today, uh, they all want to perform at Circo Soleil. That's the only thing that they want to do. And what happened is, after that, what else? They make it to there, but it's nothing else from them. If you start with a good foundation from the bottom, and no matter where you start, and no matter where you perform, that day will come and they will be ready to do a good performance in Circo Soleil when they have a good foundation and good school or good learning from no matter from where they learn. But most of them, they go from school, they train in some place, and they're ready. That's the only thing they want to audition for. But then after that, it's no more. So they have to have a good foundation and good learning from day to do whatever they want to do after that. I totally agree with you. Um, and our last question is, who do you think we should have on the podcast? <laughs> okay, I have a good one. Um, well, okay, Hilaria's going to kill me for this, but um, one of our friends um, who used to work in Circus Vargas um, he's a really funny and interesting guy. His name is John Weiss, and um, he used to be a ringmaster um, in Ringling Brothers, and he worked many years um, in Circus Vargas. And the reason why I suggest him is because right now he's doing a um, raising money for donations for a, a breast cancer research. And he's going to be doing a reality show rally for this um, foundation called Michelle's Place. And right now, he's going so crazy on Facebook. He did this, like, thing where if he raised $200, he was going to go streaking around his neighborhood. So he already has, like, gone streaking around his neighborhood. He raised another $200. He ate live crickets. Oh, geez. Now, <laughs> now he's going to do another one. And um, I think, oh, yeah, his, his, his daughter and the, her friend are going to wax him. So he's just, like, a totally <laughs> crazy guy. 
he went to clown college, so he's like a legit clown. Um, and he's got a lot of cool and crazy stories, and he's like really up for anything, and he's a really fun guy to talk to. So I, I would uh, nominate John Weiss to be That's a great idea. I don't think we've had somebody who has a ringmaster history, no. so that'll be a fun thing to, to chat about. Well, yeah, also he's um, not just a ringmaster, but he's also a balancer. So he balances like ladders and shopping carts on his chin. Wow. Nice. That sounds painful. <laughs> well, Haley and Hilario, thank you guys so much for coming on the podcast. This has been a totally fascinating interview. Uh, I can't wait for people to hear it. Yeah. Thank you so much, guys. Thank, thank you. you for having us. And that was our interview with Hilario and Haley. If you like our podcast, make sure to like us on Facebook, follow us on Instagram, Twitter, tweet us, like us on iTunes, subscribe on iTunes, rate us on iTunes, email us at hello at hideawaycircus.com. And you can always go to our website, hideawaycircus.com for more information. Hope you have an awesome week and that if you live in the New England area, it finally starts to feel like spring. Amen. <laughs> Bye.